as you uh, prepare with me to hear from God's Word, if you pull out the outline that's in the bulletin uh, on worship, unlearning worship, that's going to be of no use to you today. Um, You can try to fill in some blanks there, and if you do, that's going to be interesting because uh, I feel like God wants me to shift directions, so I won't be preaching that message. We may come back to that in the future. We'll see. But if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Heavenly Father, I pray now again that you will make Brady very, very quiet. So you can be very loud. Lord, we don't want to hear from any man or woman. But we want to hear from you and you alone. So, Lord, I ask for you to breathe on your scriptures again. And, Lord, we welcome you not only to speak to us, we welcome you to bring about change in our life that would be pleasing to you. Jesus, I ask these things in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to be reading verse 1 through 20. You read silently, follow along as I read aloud. Then... Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. The Pharisees decided it was a very important thing to deal with a big problem that nobody was using the hand sanitizer or the dial soap before they would eat. And this was causing all kinds of problems. And we needed to deal with this. Jesus replies to this great tragedy in verse 3. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you may have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father. He's not going to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you know the law, the the instruction is that you should care and provide for your mother and father. But yet these Pharisees were finding a loophole and they said, well, you know what, if these resources that we're going to take care of mom and dad, if I could just verbally commit them to God, what a great excuse. Hey, mom and dad, fend for yourself. Just deal with it. All my money is God's money, verbally at least. I'm going to care for it right now, but do as you will, but don't count on anything from me. Jesus says, well, why do you break the law of God for the sake of your own tradition of finding loopholes? Verse 7, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I love that. The Pharisees are saying, Jesus, don't you know how unpopular it is when you say things like this? They're not just a little bit miffed. They're offended. They're ticked off. Maybe you should stop it. And so Jesus replies with these words. 
Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now these next two verses are some of my favorite verses in Scripture. I guess I say that a lot. There's a lot of Scripture that's my favorite, but these are good. And Peter said, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, so theologically correct and so tender, are you still so dull? Duh, he says, how many times do I have to tell you? And Jesus asks him, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these things make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. We find here that Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and he calls the Pharisees out. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They had everything right on the outside. These are the professional religious people that kept all the rules, that did all the right things, that said everything right, that did everything right, that went everywhere they were supposed to go. And Jesus says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And Jesus had to explain it to them again and again. And and he even said, are you still so dull? I believe this morning with all my heart that God has some truth for us. This passage is pregnant with truth that can apply right now in your life. Not like sometime later, like now. Tomorrow you will be using what Jesus wants to teach you through his word here today. And for us to catch this, we need to see that Jesus is clearly telling them something is wrong with their heart. Now turn with me a few pages to the right in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read verse 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22. We find the religious leaders again are questioning Jesus. And Jesus makes some statements that get to the similar point. Verse 34 of Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. See, they they knew all the rules, they knew all the law, they lived it well, and they're going to ask him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He was ready to argue up, down, left, and right just to make Jesus look foolish. And so here's how Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is saying again, this is to deal with your heart. You honor me with your lips. You say the right things. You do the right things. You go some of the right places. But your heart is far from me. If you're wanting to take some notes, there's not an outline today. There's not PowerPoint today, all that. God didn't lead me to this in time to do that stuff. But if you want to jot notes, the first thought I think God wants us to have from this passage is this. It's a matter of the heart. It's a, it's a heart thing. It's an inside thing. 
All of us are on a spiritual journey. Whether you believe or not, you are on a spiritual journey. What's up for debate is where your journey is leading you. And who is leading you. How are you doing on your spiritual journey this morning? Where is your destination? Where are you at? What do we mean by God wants to do something inside of us? Everything in our spiritual quest is a matter of our heart. It's not just talking about the organ in our body that pumps the blood throughout us, but the heart is talking about the inner drawer inside of us, which where we collect and we store the deepest influences in our life. It's the center of your being. It's what determines your character. Your heart is the control center of your will, of your emotions, of your passions, of the things that influence your cognitive decisions. That's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about our heart. The heart is the origin. It's the beginning of everything that comes out of us that's good or everything that comes out of us that is bad. Jesus himself tells us what defiles a person, what makes them unclean. It is not what you put in your mouth as much as what comes out of your mouth because that's what comes from your heart. Now, Jesus isn't saying it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter where you go. He's saying all those sinful actions, sinful attitudes, they are they are symptoms of, of an infected heart. Now, you may be good at hiding some of those things. You may have gotten the outside to clean up and look right. But if the heart is, is harboring things that shouldn't, there's going to be a problem. And Jesus says, are you still so dull that you don't get it? It's the inside things in our life. Now, you don't need to turn there, but listen, Matthew has other good words for us. In Matthew seven seventeen. it says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. It's not rocket science. Jesus is saying, if the, the tree is bad, it will lead to bad fruit. If the tree is good, it should lead to good fruit. This last year, Carrie and I have been on a food journey, uh, eating differently and replacing old habits with, with new habits. And as I've laid down my gas station candy, I have discovered the joy of cuties or clementines. Oh, they're good. Now, before you come up to me after service and say, Brady, if you eat 17 cuties, it's the same as eating a candy bar. Don't burst my bubble right now. I know that. A lot of calories, a lot of sugar. But it's a transition for me. But in this eating of fruit and loving this. Sometimes I crave it and, and I'll go to the grocery store when I'm, I'm still hungry. Guys, I'm convinced this is why we're often not allowed to buy the groceries. We go when we're hungry and, and I, I'm hungry for food and, and for fruit and something sweet and, and I'll buy a bunch of fruit and I'll bring it home and, and the first few pieces are good but by the time I get to the end of the bag it's taking me too long to eat through it and it's, it's nasty. It's gross. So I'm trying to learn just to buy the amount of fruit that I need before it goes bad. But, but I have to confess, with oranges, with these cuties, with these clementines, I don't know how you're supposed to know if they're good or not. I mean, I, I know if I squeeze it and it's all mushy, then it's rotten, it's bad. And if I squeeze it and it's rock hard, it's probably not ready yet. But there's a whole lot of in-between in there. And they don't always taste the same. And sometimes they're just amazing. And sometimes it's like, okay, that's all right. And I want the amazing stuff. I, I look at it. And they all look the same to me. I, I squeeze it and they feel very similar to me. I'll smell it and I can't smell anything but what I anticipate tasting. And I found the only way I can know if the fruit is good is if I just eat it. 
Now, I've not been brash enough to just to peel it open and eat right there in the market, but from time to time, at our place where we get groceries, they'll have like little samples, and I can try out that melon or that orange and see if it's good, and if it's good, and I'll stock up on what they have right there. And, and I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, what's going on inside in your heart is the fruit that you will produce. And my question to you this morning is the same that Jesus is asking, how is your fruit spiritually? Is it old? Is it moldy? Is it bitter? Is it rotten? Is it barren? Or is it sweet? Is it oozing with the juice of the Holy Spirit? What is the fruit in your life like spiritually? You know, I don't know if you've met somebody that on the outside, they, they appear to be just like everybody else. They, they do similar things. They go to church like others you know. They read the Bible like others you know. They, they pray similar to the way others pray. But there's something about them. They just smell like God. When you see them go through adversity, it's just like they ooze the goodness of God. And you can't help but want to be around them. And sometimes... We're not quite sure what it is. I mean, we don't see that there's that much difference between them and the other person, but there's something oozing out of them. And the the reverse is true as well. You've met somebody who looks like the others, that talk like the others, that maybe even do the things the others do, but all you've got to do is just barely brush up against them wrong and something nasty comes spewing out. An attitude, a word, uh, a get-even spirit. Jesus is saying, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Are you starting to get what Jesus has for us today? The real evaluation, the real test to how our heart is, is what's on the inside. If if number one, we're looking at it's a matter of the heart, the inside stuff. Number two, it's this question, what is on the inside of you? I, uh... Thanks, Scripture talks about confession, and it's good for us to confess together. James talks about that. So we're going to practice some corporate confession today, okay? We'll start easy. How many of you would admit you would confess here before your friends and family that you have some place in your house that you store and stash junk? Just raise your hand. Now, don't raise it for the person next to you. Just raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. Half of you are lying. I don't believe you. I think you've got a secret stash of junk somewhere. I remember when Carrie and I first got married in our uh, apartment at Olivet Marriage Housing, which I don't think exists anymore. It was on Grand Avenue, and it was 320 square feet, the whole apartment. Every time they painted, it would get smaller. And uh, I remember being so excited about my first apartment, and for a college guy to have his own toilet, that's like living in high society. That was amazing. It was great. It wasn't a community bathroom anymore. It was just just my bathroom. And, and I remember the joys of going into this apartment and, and also learning the challenges of sharing space with my new bride. And as we moved into our new apartment, I, I quickly began to see the things that I wanted to bring into the house weren't making the cut. And the things that Carrie wanted to bring in the house seemed to always make the cut. And so the things that were going to go into the kitchen, the things that were going to go into the living room, the things that were going to go into the TV room, all those were the same room, by the way. That was just one room. They was, it was her stuff. And I quickly saw I was going to lose the battle of this, so I, I said, you know what? I'm going to take the closet. You can have everything else. And this closet was a small closet that was underneath the steps, the steps of the apartment that went up above us, and you kind of had to squeeze to get in there and, and look around or whatever. But that closet I deemed 
is mine. And so I took my big mouth Billy Bass singing fish plaque and put it in that closet. You press a button and it would sing some kind of song. It was amazing. I took my nine inch black and white television and stuck it in that closet. And my camping folding chair and I put it in there. And I had a little metal sign collection and they, I hung that all over the walls like wallpaper in there. And from time to time, when life would get crazy, though I didn't have much say of what happened through the rest of the house, I could go in my closet and shut the door and watch what could ever come on that 9-inch TV, and it was my space. I could put my tools wherever I wanted to in there. I could put it however I wanted to. As life went on, and we got our first condo, and then we got our first house, I just kind of assumed that my space would grow. But something, something happened. In our first house in Ohio, my space didn't even make it in the house. It was the garage. But it was mine. And, and when we moved to Fort Wayne, I've discovered that now, even the garage, I found a to-do list under the category of garage of how it should be cleaned and organized. And it's threatening me. I don't like it. I told you it's group confession time. But I have a place in my office where I can store all the junk that I want. You ever have a junk drawer in your house? I've had a junk drawer for most of my life, and it's not always the same junk, but it's the same principle. This is my real-life junk drawer. Now, if you've been in my office, you've never seen this. If you have, you've been snooping. Don't do that. But this is is my junk drawer in my office. And uh, in here are, are things that... I don't really want to get rid of yet. I don't even know why I have them. I have a microphone that I've been lugging around for a long time. It won't work with any of our technology here at Grace Point, but I don't want to throw it away, and, and so I just keep it. I don't know why it's, it's in here. I have a, um, a lens cleaning wipe that's in here. I guess that's good to save. I've got old business cards with wrong phone numbers on here. I don't know. I'm not going to throw those away. Got to keep that. Oh, this is good. A, a paperweight made out of paper. Now, I don't have a fan in my office. I don't really need a paperweight, so I just put that in the junk drawer, but I don't want to throw that away. You know what it's like. You just cram stuff in here. Here, here is a saw that is in the junk drawer. This is a prop I use in 201 class, and, and so I have a purpose for it, but I don't know where to put it, so I just put it in the junk drawer. And, and, and this is an external hard drive that had five years of sermons on it that died, and so I just keep it to cry and lament over what was lost. There's no... No value, I guess, other than just when I feel sad, I can pull it out and cry over this. But it's, it's my junk drawer. And really, the reality of a junk drawer is it's stuff that could or should be tossed or put somewhere else, but you don't want to make a decision on it yet. I mean, when would you need a three-fourths used can of lip balm? Maybe. I don't know. It's not that cold in my office, but you never know when I may need it. When would you need old refills for a pen that you no longer have? I mean, you just may need that. Name badges from conferences that are over. Just kind of reminds you of yourself. We'll just save that. That's good. You cram stuff in the junk drawer. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you before. Sometimes you can get so much junk that you're putting in the drawer that you can't, you can't get it open. And it's stuck. I believe Jesus is asking us the question today. What is the junk that you're storing in the drawer of your heart? Now, some of us, we just ignore the junk drawer. 
We wouldn't dare bring it out for everybody to see, and we just shut it, and we can deal with it later. Others, we've crammed so much junk in our heart that we have a hard time opening our heart to anybody, let alone God. And God is saying, your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me. It's a junk drawer problem. It's what's on the inside of us. And we can't get to where God wants to take us. We can't see the fruit that comes out that he wants to see in our life as long as we have the junk harbored in the inner drawer of our heart. That junk drawer, as I said, is really about putting things off. Decisions that we don't want to make right now, but eventually we're going to have to deal with it. In the same way, if this junk drawer is something that people don't always see, we think we fool those around us of what we store in our heart, but God sees all of it. How is your heart today? What does your spiritual inner drawer look like? When no one is around, when it's just you and you think you're alone, what do you secretly hang on to? What do you lament over that is gone, that you keep some kind of remembrance of what you used to have? In fact, many of us have experienced when the going gets tough, when life gets hard, the junk drawer doesn't always stay contained in the drawer. Have you ever had stuff that goes into the drawer below it? You're convinced someone took your junk, but it actually spilled out of the drawer, and it's in the drawer below it. And pretty soon, we begin to, someone told me last service, Brady, I don't have one junk drawer. I've got six. We begin to adopt the drawer below it and the drawer above it, and pretty soon that whole cabinet is a junk drawer, and then that whole room, and then our heart, it begins to get full and full of things that need to be dealt with. And God says, your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me. You go to church. You try to do good things. You pray when you can. You read your Bible every time you think of it. Your lips honor me, but your heart is far from me. Friend, what clutters your heart this morning? Is it unforgiveness? Is it bitterness and anger of that wrong that was done to you, but you're hanging on to it, and it is cluttering your heart? Luke 12 tells us, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What are you treasuring away? Is it pride that's cluttering your heart? Sometimes we think of pride of someone who's just so haughty and they're so full of themselves, and that's definitely prideful. But we need to understand the other spectrum of pride. When I am so down on myself and the woe is me and everybody hates me and I'm the worst person in the world, everything's about me and there's a form of pride that says, I am so bad. It's just fixated on me is pride cluttering your heart is it that secret sin that area where you know god has called you to obey you know what you're doing is wrong but yet you say i'm going to do this anyway you've done good at covering up from those around you but god knows you stash it in the junk drawer of your heart and you close the drawer and you go about your day and you don't look at it until it's time to pull it out But it's still there. Is it control? Is it greed? It's a matter of our heart. It's the inside stuff. We've looked at what is inside our heart. And a third and final thought from this passage I believe God wants us to see is he wants to give us a pure heart. We're getting some good stuff from the book of Matthew today. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Here's what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The scripture here that says pure, it means to be made of one thing. 
So for the junk drawer to be purified, it can't have all this stuff. It has to be pulled out. It has to be of one thing. Now, some of you who can't identify with the junk drawer, you're so OCD and you're so clean and organized, you make me nauseous. But uh, for the rest of us, we don't have a drawer for just one thing. But some of you who are good at organizing, like Pastor Rex, I went out to the church garage last week because I borrowed a shovel and I was going to put it back and everything is labeled. I mean, shovels go here, screwdrivers go here, pliers go here. And I just thought, this is crazy. I don't want my wife to ever see this. She'll expect this to be in my garage. But there was a pure direction of what went where. And when God purifies the drawer of our heart, there can only be one thing present. It's what it's labeled for. And friend, your heart, my heart, is designed to house the very Spirit of God. It cannot be to house the Spirit of God and your priorities. It can't be to house the Spirit of God and your addiction to people's approval of you. It can't be to house the very Spirit of God and your own fleshly desires. Your heart cannot house the Spirit of God and popular culture's idea of success. To have a pure heart is to say, God, you decide what goes in the inner drawer of my life, and you alone. And if something gets put in there that's not of you, you have the authority to remove it. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, I'm going to remove the heart of stone that is in you, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Then you will be able to follow my decrees, and you will be careful to keep my laws. David cries out in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Friend, the only way that you, or the only way that I can have a pure heart, is to truly repent, to humble ourselves, and say, God, this is a mess. And God, I surrender this drawer to you. God doesn't say, why don't you work harder and organize it? He doesn't say, why don't you separate it better? He says, I need you to give this drawer to me, and I will decide what to do with what's in it. And a broken and contrite heart comes to God and says, God, there's a heart problem. Would you clean it? Would you purify it? Would you set me apart for your use? You know what we do, church. God speaks to us about the junk that's in our heart. And we hear a message like this, and we say, I'm going to work harder, Ash. I'm going to try to think more pure. Have you ever tried to think pure? Just try it. Try to think real pure right now. What, what, is that, what is that like? Often I believe that it's not that we take something out as much as God puts something in that displaces the debris that's there. And so you and I don't have the ability to purify the junk drawer. God's spirit, when it's poured in here, the junk begins to float and overflow and come out. And it's like if you would take gallons and gallons of water and pour it into a glass of Coke. And then that dark caramel color begins to get lighter and lighter and lighter. And pretty soon it's clear and it's gone. Not because you dumped it out but because god poured himself in but god won't run roughshod over you and force you to do this you have to surrender the inner drawer of your heart to him well the really good religious people honored god with their lips but their hearts were far from him proverbs tells us above all else guard your heart for it's the wellspring of of life. See, a heart that is longing and searching for God, that is what God loves. 
God doesn't desire a sacrifice as much as a broken and contrite heart. We can't put it off. We can't say, I'll deal with it later. It's what he wants done right now. Proverbs 27 says, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Though we might feel like we have hidden it well from those around us, God says, are you still so dull that you think you can hide it from me? Are you still so dull that you understand that it takes my sovereign power and grace to take away your sin, but you think that you can purify your own heart? Are you still so dull that you think that because you have made a decision to love me and live for me way back when, that I don't see what you've been cramming in the junk drawer of your heart? A get-even spirit, a bitterness, a secret disobedience, carnality. This is an old-school word that talks about the flesh mixed with God's movement. It doesn't work. The carnal heart always trumps what God is trying to do. We need to die out to that. As Pastor Edgar comes, and we get ready to transition to respond to God's word to us today, I ask you, friend, how is your inner drawer of your heart? If God looked at his disciples, it wasn't just for the twelve, and he said, hey, hey, listen, You need to know that it's a heart thing. It's the inside stuff that is important. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about what you say or what you do or where you go, but those are symptoms of what is in the heart. How is your fruit? Does it smell like God? Does it taste of the goodness of God? You know, we we hear a message, and as I shared, we think, you know what, I, I this is good, Pastor Bray, this is good. I'm going to go home. I'm going to really work on throwing it away. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to look for the appropriate place for this, and it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to try. I'm going to, I'm going to work harder. Jesus says, are you still so dull? The Greek there is duh. Now, that was teasing. That's not really Greek. And I believe that God is asking us today, Would you trust me enough to take the junk drawer of your heart and say, God, I'm tired of, I'm tired of lying about the junk drawer. I'm tired of trying to keep it secret. I'm tired of trying to clean it out myself. I clean it out year after year, but more junk keeps coming in there. And so finally, God, I'm gonna, with a broken and contrite heart, just give you the drawer of my heart. Now hear me. You still got junk in there. You haven't dealt with the bitterness. You haven't dealt with the unforgiveness. You haven't dealt with the secret sin. But you're saying, God, listen, I'm giving you the drawer of my heart. And God says, you know what? That's my drawer. And you can rest. And God says, I I want to get that stuff out. But it doesn't happen until we get off of our prideful high horse that honors God with our lips And doesn't even acknowledge that our heart is far from God. In just a minute, I want to give you an opportunity to come and meet God at the altar and to ask God to take your junk drawer, the inner drawer of your heart. 
Now, if God is speaking to you, as I've said before, it's going to be like a neon sign. You know you can't wait till I shut up so you can start obeying God. You know what he's talking to you about. I don't want you to come and kneel because I'm asking you to. And the flip side is true. I don't want you to not come and respond to God because you worry about what someone else will think. Well, what will they think about me? They'll probably think you're making the best decisions of your life. Besides the fact, who cares what they think? This is about the inner drawer of your heart and the God who created you to house His Spirit. Let me let you in on a secret. It is so far more exhausting to try to pretend like you're living with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Pretend like you're living with a heart that is purely made of one thing. Pretend like your junk drawer doesn't exist. Than it is to just go ahead and surrender it to Him. Now when I surrender it costs me something. But it's so much more difficult and exhausting to try to live for God in your own strength. Some of you are worn out. And I don't blame you. God says, bring me the inner drawer of your heart. I want to purify it. I want to flood it with my presence. I want to remove the things out of there. But friend, God won't force you. You can slam the drawer shut today and say, I'll deal with it later. And that's Satan. He's trying to get you to miss the divine appointment that God has brought to you this morning. If God is speaking to you, as Pastor Edgar leads us in this song, I want you to do what may feel like a tough thing. I want you to stand up where you're at. I want you to come forward in just a minute. I want you to kneel at these altars, and we're going to pray together. If you physically can't kneel, you can come sit on the front row. We have served you today. We have 99% of the front row seats open for you to obey God. You can come and just sit here. Pastor Brady, I hate it when you do this. Why can't I just sit at my seat? Friend, God knows that when we put feet to our faith, something happens. Every time Jesus called a disciple, he said, come here, come here, come here, walk to me. I believe Jesus is saying, you need to act. Bring me the inner drawer of your heart. I want to purify it and give you strength. If God is speaking to you, stand, come. And kneel or sit, and we're going to pray together. Let's mind God together now.